right. Well, kiddos, let me go ahead and dismiss you as you go out to the back. Thank God for God's work among the nations in the small ways in which Restoration Church gets to be a part. Uh, We're thankful uh, for those of you that have been involved in various ways, because a number of you have been involved in all kinds of different ways. Uh, And so it's a great joy to be able to participate. And I don't know about you, but it's when I watch videos like that that I'm reminded that American culture is oftentimes really boring and our music is not nearly as interesting. Um, Yeah. Uh, so my name is Nathan. If I've not had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration Church. Uh, today, this morning, we're starting a new sermon series. You should have received one of these on your way in. Uh, do not conform. Uh, you can see the little yellow arrow there. This is what we're after uh, today. So uh, you can find that there. Uh, and then on the back, you'll also notice the next sermon series we have. This sermon series will only be three weeks. It's short. And the one after it uh, is the five solas. So if you don't know, uh, the month of October, October 31st, is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. If you don't know what that is, then come back in the month of October. Uh, It literally changed the world. Nobody can deny that. So uh, we're going to talk about that. We're excited about that. Uh, But this morning, as I mentioned, we're uh, going through this short series called Do Not Conform. Uh, If you haven't turned in your Bibles to Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, you can see in verse 2 where I get that command, that saying, do not conform. It's right there in verse 2. And let me tell you why I chose uh, this sermon series. Because in short, I think that we Bible-believing, gospel-loving Christians do conform to the world more than we realize. Uh, I think we do that. I know that I do that. Even the, as I've prepared this, I've thought about that. So the, the temptation, I think, for us... Uh, that believe Christ and believe in the exclusivity of Christ. And maybe we, hopefully we, we deny, you know, the, the right of, or it's a bad thing. Abortion is a bad thing. Homosexual behaviors, we would understand to be sin. We, we think that if we do that, then we've obeyed this passage. And that's just not true. So the Bible has all kinds of things to say about all different topics in the Bible that we need to be faithful to and consistent in. You know, it's, Uh, You've often heard, I'm sure, that Christians can be hypocrites, that we maybe pay attention to these two or three sins, but we don't recognize the fact that we're disobeying all these other ones. And I think that they can be right about that from time to time. And so we're going to take some time over the next few weeks to think about some of those things uh, that I think we are, we can conform to the world. Uh, And then, most importantly, we're going to then consider the better way of conforming to the world to come, the kingdom of heaven. Now, I realize that when I say this, some of you may disagree with me. Some of you may think, you know, the church is doing just fine. You know, we actually, by and large, don't conform to the world. But uh, let me give you some stats that maybe would help you see why I think this might be a problem. Uh, Ligonier is a good ministry, gospel-believing ministry. They released uh, some findings of a recent poll they called the State of Theology. And here were some of their findings. First off, they said that 46% of self-identified evangelicals agree or somewhat agree with the statement God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Another one, only 52% of self-identified evangelical Christians who attend church once or twice a month agreed that sex outside of marriage is a sin. And thirdly, 61% of evangelicals strongly disagree that, quote, even the small sin deserves eternal damnation. Now, I could read more, but I think we get the basic point there, right? There's about half of these evangelicals that were polled are reflecting the values and the teachings of the world around us 
more than they are reflecting the clear teaching of Christ. And so it's my suspicion even that maybe even they wouldn't responded to those things, that they were doing the right thing or the Christian thing. And maybe even that, though, might be unconvincing to you. Well, let me give you a bit of an antidote, and let's see if maybe you could resonate with this. A few years ago, I was watching the movie Walk the Line. Uh, it's a movie about Johnny Cash, and uh, I really enjoyed the movie. thought it was a good movie. had a good time watching the movie, and I got to the end of the movie, and I said, you know, that was a good movie. The, and the movie was about Johnny Cash, this musician that's pursuing this girl. Much of the movie is about him pursuing this woman that he really loved named June Carter. And he goes after June Carter, and Johnny Cash has all, all these problems with drugs and alcohol and things, and she kind of rightfully kind of stays away from him because he's a bit of a mess. And finally, he kind of gets his act cleaned up, and he goes to church, and, and then they kind of live happily ever after. That's sort of how the movie ends. And again, I watched that movie and said to myself, well, that was a good story, what a good love story. You know, I kind of affirmed that story. I was very happy about it. And then I began to evaluate the story. And I forgot that in my evaluation of the love story, there was a very particular part that was in the movie, but I didn't give much thought to. And I don't think the producers would have had to give me much thought to. And that was Johnny Cash had a wife and kids. And so at the end of the movie, I found myself, and this was after taking some time to examine, I found myself rooting for Johnny Cash to get June. And I never actually took the time to realize that I was encouraging him to leave his wife and his daughters. And I just wonder how many times it's happened to me and to you, to the stuff that you watch, the things that you listen to, how many times we do that. And then after we do that, maybe after you kind of begin to do that, we then maybe ask this question. How many times have we done this not realizing it? And then ask ourselves the question, what 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 might that be doing to our souls? When we start to approve those things and uh, kind of like those things without even realizing it, what is it doing to us? Because, right, It is doing something to us. We need to know that. It is doing something to us. There are gaps between our thinking and our loving. What we say we believe and what we actually enjoy or want. There are gaps there. So try and think about your daily habits and the ways and things that are forming you, whether they're good or bad. See, we forget, friends, that we are not just what we think. We are what we love. And so the evil one is not going to make it easy Uh, on the world in order to see his schemes and his disguises in order to shift those loves. So the internet domain sites of porn sites is not slowdeathtoyoursoul.com, right? I mean, it just, that would not be the way that he works. Matter of fact, there's an adult bar in our community called Good Guys. That's the way that it operates. It's subtle. It tries to spin things in order to make us see that this is a good thing. Or as Joey says often around here, the evil one likes to uh, bait a hook with chocolate. Right? And some of us have eaten that chocolate so many times that the chocolate just becomes normal. We just think that we kind of deserve the chocolate and we forget about the fact that we have been hooked, that our loves have been changed and shaped and there are gaps between what we say we believe about the gospel and what we actually love, and what we desire, what we want. So in other words, as I said, We do conform to the world in more ways than I think we realize. And so we're going to take a few weeks to try and pull those things up to the surface and think about them and think about the ways in which we need to be renewed so that we would live in light of the glory of Christ. Now, the difficult task, I have a difficult task in preaching these sermons, right? I mean, I have to find a way to kind of stay away from some poles. I've got to stay away from calling us or even hinting that we should retreat from the world. 
We can't do that. And I also have to stay away from the pole of not having us to conform to the world. So that's a difficult task to try to stay in between. And I also have to try and stay away. Here's the hardest one. Just try to stay away from going beyond scriptures and coming up with commands or prescriptions when the Bible doesn't say so. But at the same time, I have to also not validate everything that you're currently doing or I'm currently doing. So this is a hard task for me. Right. So you can pray that I get this balance just right uh, as best I can. So we're going to jump in to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and think about this more broadly. Next week, we'll think about the way that we can conform with our money. The week after that, we'll think about the way that we can conform to the world in our relationships. But today, we're thinking about it more broadly. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're going to focus on verse 2, just that one verse. But here, the context of Romans here, Paul is writing to the saints, the Christians in Rome. That's chapter 1, verse 7 of Romans. And Paul has been instructing the church there in Rome at the deep level about the gospel and how the world has been shaped and how what God is doing in the gospel and what the gospel is. And so just before chapter 12, we find that Paul is kind of wrapping up his theological treatise, his deep sort of thoughts. He's going to begin to make some conclusions. You'll notice that in verse 1 of chapter 12, you see that therefore. So now he's going to apply all these difficult things that he's been teaching. And so let me read Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm going to pray briefly and we'll hop in. Chapter 12, verse 1. Actually, you know what? Let me read verse 36 before it. I think it will help us. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to, the, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God, we pray that you would honor the preaching of your word, that we would carefully think about ways in which we are conforming, and Lord, we pray that you would then give us grace to help us see the better way to conform to the world to come. Help us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, verse, verse 2, we're going to focus there. Notice in verse 1, though, verse 1 of chapter 12, notice there that Paul is pulling imagery of Old Testament sacrifices onto the uh, New Testament church. He's kind of pulling that imagery out. He's saying that we need to be offering our lives as spiritual sacrifices, as living sacrifices. So uh, he's saying that this needs to happen by the mercies of God. That's so important. By the mercies of God, this is the way it's happening. It's not by us pulling up our bootstraps. It's going to happen by the power of God. We need to present the whole of our lives as a sacrificial offering to this good and great God. This is our spiritual worship. This is our response. And again, we're going to talk about renewing our minds in a moment. But notice, it's not just thinking. There in the passage. In verse 1, he's illustrating the entirety of our lives. God is after all of us. And Paul is saying that there is a response to this glorious God and this glorious gospel where Christ entered the world, overcame sin by his sacrifice on the cross and in the resurrection. And that response, Paul's saying in verse 1, is we give all of ourselves to God. All of it. But more particularly, what does that mean? Well, Paul kind of begins to make his first, or actually second, kind of uh, appraisal and to not conform to the world. So first point, do not conform to the world. Simple point, verse 2, 
do not conform to the world. Now, for those of you that are familiar with the Bible, you've read the Bible before, you're familiar with its teaching, uh, you know that this is a common refrain in the Bible, this idea of not loving the world. We can think about Jesus when he prays in John 17, verse 14 to 17, where he says, I have given them, it's the disciples, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you, ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We're also mindful of the teaching of Peter in 1 Peter 2, where Peter says that we as the church, as Christians, are sojourners, are exiles in this world. We can think about James chapter 4, verse 4, where he says that being a friend to the world is being an enemy to God. And of course, 1 John 2, 15, that says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's a clear thrust of teaching of the Bible that we ought not love the world as we see represented in Romans 12. But we need to ask the question, what does Paul mean by the world? Right? Some of you might be a little confused. Maybe some of you that are new or thinking about Christianity, you may be hearing me say this and you're going, now wait a minute. I thought, you know, like I watched the football game last night and it said John 3.16 and I'm pretty sure that says, for God so loved the world. What is going on? This must be one of those many contradictions in the Bible. No, no, not at all. So what is happening here? The word behind the text there in Romans 12.2, that word there is age. That's where we get our word age. So what seems to be talking about when the Bible says not loving the world is the idea of the schemes of the world, the thinking of the world as opposed to what John 3.16 is saying is about the people in the world. So here we find that the world there that we're not to love is the thinking of this age. Don't be conformed to the thinking of this age. Don't be thinking as the world thinks. So when I grew up, I used to read the NIV. Uh, Most of my Bible memory verses are all in NIV. Um, We read out of the ESV now, but the NIV used to say, or still says, uh, do not conform to the patterns of the world which is a good good way to understand what's going on beneath it. Another version says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. And another paraphrased version says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. So what is, though, the patterns of this world? So we've said, we've kind of begin to, you notice how we're kind of going big and we're just whittling down. So what's this mold exactly? So we know that there's a kind of thinking, there's a mold, but what is it exactly? What is, it, what is the world trying to squeeze us into? Well, you can see it back in the very beginning of the Bible when sin enters the world. Satan tempts Adam and Eve. How? By telling them, they're looking at something that they like, and they say that by eating this, they can then be like God. And right there is the mold where we can reject the sort of God, not sort of, we reject God-centered understanding of the world. And we put me-centered understanding of the world put me in the middle of it i can be like god i reject authority and i put me in the middle put my desires what i want put that at the center of our world and our thinking therefore this age this world is training us discipling us to have a me-centered understanding not a god-centered understanding training us as disciples to they're discipling us to obey our passions not god's passions and it often does so as i represented in the johnny cash story 
often happens without us even recognizing it. And so the more that our passions then in the schemes of the world, the more that our passions can be normalized and approved, the more that we can be at the center of our world. And then God would be then pushed out of the center as if that was possible. And as a result, though, Paul, at the beginning of his letter to Romans, Paul says back at the beginning in chapter one, verse 21, when this happened, and it broke in. Sin came into the world. This kind of thinking came into the world. Paul concludes in chapter one, 21, that they, this is the world, became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. He goes on to say in verse 26, Paul says, God then gave them up to dishonorable passions. We would call this the passive wrath of God, where God just sort of lets mankind do whatever mankind wants to do. And so then we, he goes on in chapter 8, Paul does of Romans, to describe this idea using the word flesh, fleshly thinking, self-centered thinking. And this is what he says, Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to their flesh, we could say the thinking of the world, for those who live according to their flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. There's the end. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So when Paul says here in Romans 12 to do not conform to the world, He's saying, he's saying, reject the futile thinking that is set on the flesh. It only leads to death. That's what he's saying. Don't conform to the world's agenda of a me-centered view instead of the God-centered view. The way that God, the God of this world is trying to kill you is by getting you to set your mind on you. The passions of your flesh, Paul says in Ephesians 2. So don't conform to this world's agenda of being governed by your flesh, your desires. Just as in the garden, the evil one lies to us that our desires, our passions are the way to joy. That's a lie. But let's get a little bit more specific, shall we? What are some of those lies that we're tempted to believe? That sort of self-centered thinking. What are those, some of those self-centered things that we're tempted to believe in the world and its thinking? Well, one, I think, would be that your worth is based off of what you do. That would be one that we're tempted to believe. Another one would be that you deserve to be comfortable. A third one is, is you can fix yourself. Another one would be, all my problems are outside of me. Or I need to be who my friends or parents tell me I need to be. Or if I only had X, then I would be happy. Those are some. And then another one would be, happiness comes from all of my desires being fulfilled. Or I feel, therefore it must be faithful. Or another one, my worth is based off of my looks or my education. Those are some of the ways in which the world is trying to get us to believe and be centered on ourselves. But what about the lies that we believe in the church? What about the ones that are closer here that we're more tempted to believe? Well, I think one would be that God's love for you is conditioned upon your performance to him. See, that puts you at the center of the equation. Another one would be that God isn't listening to you. Or that God uh, doesn't have complete control over the world. I'm sure that people are tempted by that in South Florida today. And if he does, if he does have control over the world, then he must be unloving. We might be tempted to believe that. Or that trying to be good is enough. Or that I can never change. Or that I deserve X. Whatever it is. These are some of the lies that we believe and so try and are being conformed to the world's way of the thinking, which only eventually leads to death. All right, so we've defined what Paul means by the world, which is the authority of you and your passions. 
We've seen the end of the conforming, which we've seen is of the world, which is death, destruction. And we've considered some of the specific lies that we're tempted to believe and be conformed to. So now let's begin to consider some of the mechanisms that these lies get channeled through. All right. What are some of the vessels that carry this germ of the age and its thinking? Well, first off, friends, it's got to start with us. It's got to start first off with our own hearts. That is the chief mechanism. You should know that. Chief mechanism, our own hearts. So we are tempted to believe that all the lies, that all the problems are all out there. All out there. If we could just fix everything out there. If my spouse was different, if my coworker was nicer, uh, if uh, the government was cleaner, uh, you know, then everything would be okay. We just blame everything on the world. And we don't really blame anything on us. But we need to regularly remind ourselves that we have seen the enemy. And he is us. He is us. We are our own worst enemy. Consider the teaching of Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 and 21, when he says, what comes out of a person, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, and he lists a number of other things. So the first line of attack then, the first mechanism then, is our own hearts. We need to reject the lie that all the problems are kind of out there. We need to agree that what's wrong with the world first is us and our own hearts. As Jesus says, we need to get the plank out of our own eye so that we can then get the speck out of the world. So it's the same principle, right, when, that you, when you're on the airplane and the oxygen masks come down. What are you supposed to do, right? Are you supposed to go help everybody else and then help yourself? No. Right, you've got to put the mask on yourself and then you go help others. So in the same way, we've got to look to our own hearts and be, make sure that we are uh, being attentive to our own hearts and the ways in which we are not faithful and obedient before we think about uh, convincing others that they are disobedient. Which I think this aspect is one of the reasons why we get the culture wars all wrong, those so-called culture wars. Because we're always so focused. Everybody else has got to fix them. And we never, the church never takes the time to see that we need to repent of our own sins. And so until, church, until we see our own need for grace and appreciate grace, we will not be as helpful as we could towards our neighbors who are far from God and believing lies. We have to see our own need for grace and be changed by the grace of God in Christ Jesus ourselves. And the way that we begin, uh, begin with ourselves is by preaching, ourselves, preaching to ourselves the gospel every day. We preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We remind ourselves that we need the grace of forgiveness before anyone else does. We preach the grace of Christ to ourselves. We ask for the Lord's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. We receive it and apply it to ourselves. Those those mercies of God that Paul's talking about in verse 1. Daily, daily we're repenting of our sins and the ways in which we are conforming to the world. And that then allows us to see more clearly the mechanisms of the world. And so what are some of those mechanisms? What are some of the kind of classrooms of the world and its thinking where it's trying to conform us to its ways? Well, the simple answer is it's everywhere, right? That's, it's everywhere. You can't get away from it. Anywhere, maybe even more particularly, any, anywhere information is being disseminated, you should be cautious of this germ of fleshly thinking that is trying to get you to conform to its patterns of you. But let's be a bit more specific, shall we? Let's go through a little rehearsal. This is going to be fun, right? This is when I'm really going to start messing with us. Um, This is when the part where I've got to be careful to not to stay away from the poles. So let's take a first one. Let's think about the mechanism of music, all right? I love music. We just 
did music. We'll do it again. Music is good. Music is a gift from God, I think. But like all other things, music uh, can teach us and train us to conform to the world. So I went to the Internet. It's just new thing. It's really awesome, the Internet. Um, and I, I Googled billboard, billboards, I can't, like top 10 songs, something like that. And I go to it, and I see what those songs are. And I just click on them, and I begin to read the lyrics of the songs of the top 10, 15 songs right now, popularly speaking. Uh, well, guys, my intention was is to read some of the lyrics of the song to you. But honestly, most all of them, I, I didn't feel comfortable reading to you. I mean, they're that bad. And I'm, I mean, just go in, on your own and read them. I mean, it's just, I mean, it just amazed me. I mean, you can ask some of the people in the office. I was like, listen to this. So this is popular. Like, we're, 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 we're glad about some of the things that are being uh, you know, celebrated in these kinds of things. And so, and I began to notice this even in myself. So there's a certain band that I really like and I like to listen to. Uh, and I especially like to run to this band. And, and, uh, and I was listening to this and I began to notice, and I could think back even to past years, you know, you young people, like back in like the 90s, you know, like so long ago, uh, when I was running and I remember singing some of these songs at the top of my lungs and I still enjoy them today. And I started, as I was working through this, I started to notice the things that I was saying and singing. And I went, oh, dear God, I would never say that to my wife in the presence of my wife. And so I did, again, it's sort of like that Johnny Cash movie. I didn't even notice that I was singing these things that I would say is wrong and bad. And so I say that, all of that to say to be careful to the music that you listen to. Be careful to the music that you're listening to. Pay attention to the stuff that you sing, and the stuff that you enjoy. It's trying. You need to know that the evil one will use it to conform you to its pattern of thinking. Music is not neutral. It's good, but it's not neutral. And so put off music that exalts sin. Put on music that exalts the Savior. Oh, here we go. There's Nathan telling me to listen to Christian music all the time. It's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying just be careful. Just be careful of the ways in which music is attempting to normalize things that are, you would say is wrong. Here's another one. Uh, news outlets. Uh, yeah, news outlets. 24-7 news cycle. Right? Whether you're getting your news from Fox News, CNN, or Reddit, or whatever the case may be, you need to know, beloved, that those news outlets are coming from a worldview. They have ideas that they hold dear, that they want to advance to the world. Now, I can think about this again in my own life and the ways that I failed to recognize this in previous years. I can remember there was a particular channel, you can probably guess which one it was, that I was watching, and I sort of was doing, I can evaluate, this is probably, again, back way back in the 90s, uh, that I was doing sort of things, and I was just sort of taking my cues. And here's the thing, I was naive enough to believe that the news was neutral. They just had the facts, and they just said what happened. And <laughs> I never actually took the time. Like, that's pretty naive. So everybody has a worldview. Could be good, could be bad. Uh, but the reality is they are trying to get you to think or to believe or to value certain things. And so listen to them. Be aware of them. And by the way, just because there's a stereotype of one being conservative and one being liberal doesn't mean that they're always right or always wrong. Just be aware of these things. And shift them through the lens of the gospel. Be mindful of what Paul is teaching us here. And you'll be able to more actively understand and have your heart and your mind be working together for the glories of Christ. A third one, TV and movies. All right, I'm really going to mess with you on this one. So 
uh, TV and movies. All right, to be clear, I own a TV and I watch movies. All right, so I just want you to know that. Uh, the most popular TV mo- show right now, I had to Google this again, this crazy thing called the Internet. I tried to Google it, popular TV shows. And overwhelmingly, the thing that came up, the show that came up was this show called, what am I going to say? The Game of Thrones. Somebody's already saying it. The Game of Thrones. Full disclosure, never watched an episode of it. Never seen it. Don't know a whole lot about it. Other than the fact that they wear like, you know, old clothes and walk around and do crazy things. I I don't know much. I've seen pictures, but I don't don't know things. So I Googled. I did not look at any images, but I just Googled this simple phrase. Game of Thrones sex. Put it in Google. See what came out. Didn't look at images. Didn't look at videos. Just saw the headlines. And folks, go do it today. It'll shock you what is on there. I mean, it's just... Not good. Not good. So just to give you an example, uh, one writer from the Huffington Post said, not exactly a bastion of gospel truth, uh, the Huffington Post, uh, one author from the Huffington Post said that they had to stop watching the show because of the sex and the violence. Well, some might say, well, Nathan, Nathan, that's just part of the show. It's just a kind of small part of the show. And I would just respond by saying, is it? And even if it is, does it serve your soul to continue watching a show that is normalizing sex and violence? Cheating, maybe language. I don't know about the language piece. My guess is probably not good. And I realize that introduces questions about other shows. And I'm not trying to tell you whether or not you should watch them. I'm simply trying to introduce to you this question that you would not passively watch, that you would actively watch and evaluate. Are you aware of the ways that those stories are conforming you to its patterns and the thinking of the world? Conforming your loves in ways in which you would, you would say is not exactly what Paul is saying right here, to not conform to the world. Do you notice the ways in which those shows are trying to normalize those things? And are you understanding and having an evaluation in which the, uh, what that's doing to your heart and to your soul? So, beloved, for the glory of God and the good of your neighbor... Be discerning about the shows and the movies that you're watching and what they're doing to blunt your soul and conform you to the world. All right, next one. Advertisements. Advertisements. One research firm said that a person living in a city 30 years ago saw 2,000 messages a day compared to today where they see, we see 5,000 advertisements a day on average. Just a few of them. Joey actually mentioned this a few months ago, and I got his list. Just listen to some of these advertisements. You're going to know exactly what I'm talking about, which as you are. But just think about these and push these through. Now that you're in church, you know, thinking maybe more about Jesus and the ways in which is better, his, his world his, is better. So think now about these phrases. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't buy these products or even that these phrases are wrong. I'm just trying to make us aware of the ways that Paul is warning us. Just do it. Why wait? Obey your thirst. That one to me is like the most crazy. I never actually thought about that because I love, I love Powerade. But, you know, obey your... Oh, that's not good. I need not do that. Bible says don't do that. But I... Anyway. Another one is because you're worth it. And still another one... Now, here's a funny story. So Joey wrote something out and I copied it and was using it. And I thought he said that one of the monikers was be selfish. So I 
said, man, somebody actually has a Google ad or has an advertising campaign that says be selfish. And I actually went and found, thinking that was it, and I YouTube be selfish advertisement. And there, he actually wasn't saying this, but there is an advertisement called be selfish. It's for like, anyway, it doesn't matter what it's for, but uh, that's, an, that's an advertisement. You should watch that video, by the way. It'll blow your mind. Another one is I'm loving it. Expect more, pay less, no boundaries. So I remember, guys, a few years ago, there was this credit card ad that was basically telling you all the benefits of this credit card. And behind on a loop was this idea of uh, this song playing that said, do whatever you want any old time. Just over and over, just in the background. So if we see upwards of 5,000 ads a day, what do you think they are doing to conform us to the patterns of the world? As Paul is referencing here. Last one. Screens and by extension the internet. So uh, I read an audio book this, or listened to an audio book this year, New York Times bestseller, not a Christian book, called from Nicholas Carr called "What the Internet Is Doing to Our Brains." And you get much of his conclusions here in this quote. He says, "Quote: We willingly accept the loss of concentration and focus, the division of our attention, and the fragmentation of our thoughts in return for the wealth of compelling or at least diverting information that we receive." He goes on to say that the brain's craving for novelty, constant stimulation, and immediate gratification creates something called, quote, compulsion loop. Like lab rats and drug addicts, we need more and more to get the same effect, unquote. So, friends, screens and the ways that they access the Internet, like these other things, these are not evil in and of themselves. I would even say that there's wonderful good things. There are ways in which unreached uh, people groups are receiving and hearing the gospel as a result of the Internet. And these, there are so many good things. But don't lose sight of how the evil one could use these screens and their access to the Internet in order to get people distracted from deep thinking and deep living. He doesn't want us to have... He, the evil one does not want us to have long, slow, deep gazes at Christ. What he wants us is to be discontent and thin. And that's what these things can do. Now, friends, I didn't even mention how video games are desensitizing people to sex, violence, and crime. How uh, colleges and universities humiliate Christian students and professors. Nor do we even consider uh, history and how the church, inside the church, there was a conforming inside the church to have people believe, white people believe, that they can own people. We've got to be discerning. See, the basic point is, is the world is trying to conform us to its ways of thinking in more ways than we realize. It's attempting to normalize sin and disciple us into believing that you are sovereign and you can obey your passions. It's trying to create gaps between what you say you believe and what you actually desire. And it's happening very subtly. And its end is death and destruction. Now let me, let me be clear about this. Listen to me. Don't tune out at this point. We should not retreat. We should not live in fear. We should be bold. We should be clear. We should have persuasive, humble, compassionate words to people. But listen, we just need to be aware. God is telling us here in this verse and the other ones I read, He's telling us, He's warning us to be aware of the attacks. We must attack back. As Paul says in verse 2, look down there at verse 2. Test these good things. Test these good things against the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And for those of you that are not currently following Christ, don't lose sight of the fact that some of your thinking maybe has been taught to you by society without your realizing it. 
And of course, that doesn't mean that all the thinking in society is all wrong. Just be aware of that. There's, there's a question that I think sometimes gets asked of Christians in America by relativists. And it goes like this. They've said, I've, I've been asked or said this before. Well, you're, a, you're an American and you're a Christian. So if you would have been born in Afghanistan, you'd be Muslim. And they use that to try to dismiss the fact that Christianity is true. But I respond to that by saying that, listen, if you weren't raised in America, you wouldn't be a relativist and you'd be a Muslim too. Right? And all, all, that, all that proves is a simple fact that we need to push aside the fog of lies and see what's true. See what's true. Constantly be doing that. So that leads us to the second point, which will be briefer. We must be conformed to the world to come. We must be conformed to the world to come. We don't conform to the world and its patterns. We conform to the world to come. We conform to Christ. We're renewed by the word of Christ. So most sermons like this have the basic point of telling you all the bad things in the world are out there and they say, listen, it's all bad, so stay at home, don't dance, don't smoke, don't chew, don't hang out with those that do and just wait to die and be boring for the rest of your life. Right? That's not what this passage is teaching. That's not what the Bible teaches. Many sermons just sort of stop right here and move on and tell you to go, and which I think creates self-righteous, angry people that are call themselves Christians. Right? But no, look what the Bible is teaching. Just remind, remember back to John 17, that passage I read earlier from Jesus. Remember, he prayed for three things. He prayed, one, that we would not be taken out of the world. But two, he did also pray that we would be kept from the evil one. And that we would thirdly be sanctified in the truth. And the word is truth. And also, just before that prayer, Paul, Jesus talks about how we would have joy and have it to the full. Have life and have it to the full. And that is contrasted with the patterns of the world that are trying to train you towards death to the full. Jesus does not want us to be removed from the world, but he does want us to be removed from the evil one and his messages, which is exactly what we just did for the last 20 minutes. He wants us to be sanctified by the truth, which is what we're doing now. That's exactly where Paul goes. You'll notice his formula is almost exactly the same as Jesus's. Look again at Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So it's not just negative. He's got the positive. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that word transform there is the same word we get our word metamorphosis. That is how you say that word, right? I've been second guessing myself all day. Metamorphosis. Paul is praying that our minds... Uh, and eventually our whole lives, going back to verse 1, would be like caterpillars that are being metamorphosized into butterflies. That's what he's praying. Changing from base passion, patterns, passions, selfish patterns, and by the mercy of God, by the mercy of God, into his patterns which are good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, Christianity is not opposed to life and joy. It is very much in favor of it. It is a lie to believe otherwise. And by the way, some people still believe that today. They reject a version of Christianity that just makes life really boring and sad, and that's what God wants for your life. That's not true. There are, there's a line of thinking that says that we should not have any fun. We should turn our brains off and just wait till Jesus comes back. That's a lie. God wants us to put off the devices of the world in order that we would put on the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And what is the will of God? You should ask that question of that verse. What is the will of God? Wouldn't you like to know the answer to that question? Wouldn't you like to know? Don't put that verse up there yet. Okay, good. That's all right. Wouldn't you like to know? Wouldn't you like to know what the will of God is for your life? 
Guess what? What if I told you I knew the answer? What if I told you that I knew, I know exactly what God's will for your life is? I do. I believe that. I actually do. This is one of a pastor's favorite tricks. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Now you can put it up there. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's God's will for your life. Oh, but Nathan, what about this or this or this? Listen, we can get to that. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. That's what's most important. But you think through all the other questions you may be asking. This is the most important. The will of God is your sanctification. Push that through, Romans 12, 2. And sanctification, friend, is not opposed to joy. It is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't you want something that is good, acceptable, and perfect? See, conforming to the world will not get you that. Not in the end, though that's what it promises. Conforming to the, to the will of God, being sanctified, it will get you that. See, as sanctification transforms or metamorphosizes us, the more we grow into the good and the acceptable and the perfect. But we need to understand, though, beloved, we need to understand the basic point that we still need to be transformed. You see that there in verse 2? That word is in the kind of, kind of active or past present. He's sort of talking about we need to constantly be transformed. We need to agree that we need to be transformed. The world tells us that we, we're born as we are and whatever we think is fine. We don't need to be transformed. But we're saying, no, we need, Nathan Knight needs to be transformed. So we need renewal. Our nature is fallen, inward and selfish. And the world is trying to encourage us that we uh, need to give in to that thinking. But we need to test, test the will of God. Run it through there. So we need to be born again. Our minds, our lives need to transform from the selfish patterns of the world that leads to death and into the good patterns of God that leads to everlasting life. And by the way, you should know, beloved, this takes time. I love to give this example. Some people get tired of me saying it. But when I go home, when I leave, I leave in the morning from my home and I come home, my kids, every single day, they look exactly the same. They don't look as though they changed at all. And then my mom will see them three, four, five, six months later. Oh, look, they've grown so much. She is able to have the span of time to see and evaluate. And we sometimes forget that. God is doing things. We oftentimes can't see it in the day-to-day. So let me briefly review what I've said. I'm going to give one application. We'll be done. So we've said, first off, the Lord demands all of us as living sacrifices, and that comes by His mercy, God's power working through us. But the world in sin is trying to get us to conform to its patterns of selfish sovereignty. And that ultimately leads to death. And so we must not then conform to those patterns. And so then we said that because of the inherent dark deadness within us, we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can properly test and live inside of the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, which is our sanctification. And by doing this, our loves will change and our lives will change as we are sojourners here on this earth. So, How can our minds be renewed and so test the will of God and make good choices in keeping with it? Well, the way that Jesus answered that was by the word of God. How is it we get renewed? By the word of God. The spirit of God working through the word of God. Remember what Jesus said? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification is the will of God. And sanctification or renewal comes by the word of God. And so in order to confront those lies, we must fight them with the truth of God's word. So this world is 
giving you words, all kinds of words, and you're believing, I'm believing, all of kinds of words. We've got to confront those with better words, truthful words. And that's found in the Scriptures. Your minds have to become more and more saturated with the Word of God so that you would be able to test that will and live inside of the good, acceptable, and perfect. So think about it this way. What would be the best way to learn a new language? Right? You go to the country and you live inside of it and you're saturated by it. So go and live inside of the new heavens and new earth in the God's Word. Saturate yourself in it. And the more that you'll be able to test and make the right choices. Things will naturally just not look right to you and it will be more easy as you grow up into it. So how do we do that? All right. How do we do this? How do we get renewed by the Word? Six things, short things. Here we go. As it relates to the Word of God. Word of God. Read the Word. Meditate. Pray, sing, listen, and speak the word. Six things. Read, meditate, pray, sing, listen, speak the word. I'm going to go through these briefly. So if you're going to live in light of the life of Christ, you must read the Bible. Read it every day. Read the Bible every day. Oh, Nathan, I'm so busy. Oh, come on. Right? I mean, come on. Just like a sentence. Just like one sentence. Something. Get yourself in it. Create habits where you're regularly reading it. Most of us have two, three, four, five Bibles in our homes and all of you are carrying them around in that little thing the phone you have right it's there you can read it there you read the bible there give yourself to reading the bible every day you make time beloved for what you prioritize and if you want to have renewal and life in christ saturate yourself in the word by reading it daily secondly meditate on the word meditate on the word means to mumble or ruminate or run it over in your minds day after day time after time so I have added this step in between my Bible reading and my journaling and prayer. Sometimes I use my journaling as my meditation. But I've kind of added, I finish reading the Bible, and then I meditate, and then I pray. And what, the reason why I added that step is it helps things kind of sink in from here down into here. Meditating. I try to grab, what I try to do is I try to take one thought from something I read, and I just try to roll it over a little bit and let it sink. And then that's the thought I try to just sort of rehearse for myself at some point over over the course of that day. Meditate on the Word. Third, then pray the Word. Pray the Word. Some people have trouble praying. Some of you may have trouble praying. Just pray the Bible. Take what you read and just pray it back to God. You know how much God loves to hear His Word back to Himself? Just pray that Word. Pray that Word. Take a psalm. Pray it back to God. Uh, When I have trouble Uh, Praying, getting started in praying, I just read the Bible and just pray it right back to him. Read the word, meditate on the word, pray the word, forth, sing the word. So I've got a small hymnal that I sometimes use. I know that's a little awkward for some of you, but like it's fine. I just sing sing some good stuff, you know. So singing has a way of driving the truth past my mind and into my heart. It kind of gets rid of the uh, academic approach to the Bible. It drives, the singing drives it in. So I'm not, when I read the Bible, I'm not interested in just knowing stuff. I'm reading the Bible because I want to love. And I want to be transformed by that love. Singing really helps that, which is why we sing on Sunday mornings. Next, listen. Fifth, listen to the Word. This is preaching and teaching. Guys, come to church hungry. Come to church hungry. When you fast this week and you get hungry, let that be a reminder to you. I want to hunger. God, would you let me hunger after your Word? The same way that I want a sandwich. May I want Jesus more and his word more that I would hunger and thirst for him. Come ready. Listen to good podcasts. Looking good to good preachers. If you want to listen to those, come talk to me. 
Read good books. Listen to good teaching and good preaching. And next, lastly, speak the word. Speak the word. I met a guy this week, or I spoke to a guy this week, a guy that I've been in his life a bit for the last couple months. And he sent me this text. It was awesome. Just like, God's doing this in me and this in me. So excited. I just want you to know about this and this sort of thing. And when I was talking with him later, I was, we were evaluating all that the Lord was doing in his heart. And you know what he said to me? He said, Nathan, the best part of that day was when I told you about it. So there's a, something about speaking the word that kind of completes the cycle of renewal. Not just holding it in here, but we speak it. We say it out loud. That kind of then helps renew us. So if our minds are going to be renewed, we need to speak the word to each other. The more that we do this, the more that we read, meditate, pray, sing, listen, speak the word to one another, the more our minds are going to be renewed into our heavenly home. And the more we're going to think that way as sojourners and exiles. We're going to feel more like exiles and sojourners and longing for our heavenly home, not conforming to the world, but instead conforming to the world to come. And I'm going to end on this. Never forget, beloved. Never forget. Never forget that all of this is possible because of Christ. Don't lose sight of that. He is the word that became incarnate. He became, he he entered into our world so that we would see the example and have the power by which to live all this out. He's the incarnate word. He's the one we're after. He, Jesus Christ, is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect. For from him and through him and to him are all things. It is only by his mercy and for his glory that we can navigate this. So trust him. Don't trust yourself. Don't kind of trust those six things and go work them out. Work them out, but trust Christ to perform them in you. Jesus said to us, he made a promise. I, he said, in this world, you will have much trouble. But take heart, he said, for I have overcome the world. Yes, he has. Amen. Let's pray and give thanks to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good word that shows us the truth. God, we confess that we, uh, that there are gaps between what we say we believe and what we actually value and desire and love. God, thank you for this time. We've been able to think about those things. Forgive us in the ways in which we are conforming to the world. And God, grant mercy in us to conform to the world to come. Christ the Lord, our King, our Maker, the one of whom whom overcame this world, and the one of whom we will see soon enough and enjoy forever. We pray in His name. Amen.